you're listening to the hybrid cloud forecast series with host andre tost all right welcome everyone and thanks for listening to this episode of the hybrid cloud forecast podcast Today's guest is Jason McGee. Jason is not only an IBM fellow, like everyone on this show, he is also the CTO of the IBM Cloud Platform. Thanks a lot for joining, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andre. Glad to be here. So as we always do, let's start with a bit of an introduction of yourself. Kind of tell us how you got to be what you are today. <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, let's see, we'll work backwards. You know, my role right now is I lead technology for our public cloud platform, meaning kind of our platform as a service space, like Kubernetes, OpenShift, serverless, observability, kind of all of the uh, application services that we build on our cloud. You know, I got here because uh, yeah, I guess the whole arc of my career has been building platforms for people, uh, for enterprises to build applications on top of, uh, going all the way back to work we did together on things like WebSphere and uh, a lot of virtualization and distributed computing technologies in between. So I uh, have a passion for, for application platforms and, and really solving some of the kind of hard efficiency, availability, scale and performance challenges that companies have when they try to build apps. All right. Well, you, you already touched on a number of, of um, aspects that I want to I wanna revisit and talk a little more about. But before we go there, obviously, the, the, the title of this whole thing is the hybrid cloud um, forecast, right? So maybe you can give us your definition of what hybrid cloud even is. Yeah, sure. So it's interesting. Hybrid is one of those words that lots of people use and everyone kind of thinks of in a different way. I, I try to think about things in a pretty pragmatic way. I mean, I, I think IT has evolved over the last decade to be uh, much more diverse, diverse from the places where things are running and diverse in the models that they're running under. So what maybe was traditional data center architectures a decade ago are now r- workloads running in a combination of traditional data centers, public cloud locations and increasingly kind of geographically dispersed edge of network locations. And I think of hybrid cloud as technologies and approaches to deal with that diversity, right? So how do you actually build applications, operate applications, scale them, make them secure across a combination of on-prem, public cloud, and edge locations? And what are all the challenges that go with that? You know, how do you build apps? Like, how do you drive consistency across that environment? How do you secure it and monitor it? Uh, To me, hybrid cloud is that union of location diversity with how do you make it sane and something that people can run and operate. Okay. And and by the way, that's a theme that's been common throughout all the conversations that I've had as part of this is that we view, I think cloud kind of started out as a representing location, but now it's not really representing a particular location. It's, it's representing a style of computing that can happen in your own data center or in anyone else's data center. And so it's more about an architectural pattern and including all the aspects and development aspects that go around it. I think that's true. And it's interesting. I think cloud is is a manifestation of a bigger trend in the industry around as a service, because that's the other kind of big evolution that's happened over the last 10 plus years is the rise of as a service consumption models at multiple layers, you know, at infrastructure, at kind of what we used to call middleware and at, at applications and more and more, I think, frankly, driven by everyone's need to kind of develop at a higher velocity and, you know, increase the amount 
amount of technology that they're using to run their businesses, people want to consume technology as a service. And therefore, you see them adopting cloud and you see them changing how they expose IT in the data center. And so you have this kind of service-based consumption model pervading the approaches that people take. Cloud is a big example of that, but there's other examples. And I think, you know, I look at my particular twist on hybrid and a lot of it is about how do we do hybrid cloud consistently as a service in all of these different locations that people want to run in. Yeah, even though it, I, I think it matters what layer of the stack you're at, and you just mentioned it, there is a difference if I'm consuming infrastructure as a service or all the way to consuming an application as a service, right? And and the kind of the tools and methodologies I need, because I could say if I'm consuming infrastructure as a service, there's still this notion of a server that I then go and put software on manually that I then may have to operate and manage, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and you're right that depending on where in that spectrum you're consuming, you wind up with very different problems to solve. And infrastructure as a service is actually probably the one that's, you know, there's lots of differences in infrastructure, but it's the one that has the most common concepts across the data center, cloud, and other locations. The higher up the stack you get, the more diversity you get in kind of how you consume it and how you secure it. And so it's interesting to kind of watch these different layers adapt to being as a service and then being as a service in a variety of locations. So how do we tie all of this to your role? I think, I mean, isn't there kind of a bit of a, a contradiction there that on the one hand, we say we're the company of hybrid cloud, right? It can run in all kinds of places. We plug it all together and we make it consistent. At the same time, as I said in the beginning, your job title is I, uh, CTO of IBM Cloud, right? And, and, and so that basically means, well, that is one of several public cloud providers that, that are in, in the market today. So how do you connect the dots there on these two seemingly contradicting aspects? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's two elements to it. I mean, one is we need a common platform that can run across all these environments. And so just like 20 plus years ago with WebSphere, we had things like Java as the common platform across a different collection of operating system and hardware architectures. In today's world, the platform as a service layer plays the role of providing some abstraction over different infrastructure providers and different IaaS layers and different cloud providers. And, And obviously things like OpenShift and Kubernetes play a big role there. So, you know, half of my job is helping build out that platform. But then the other half is part number two, which is like, well, how do you do as a service? Like if you're going to do something as a service, the implication is you have some control plane somewhere that an API that you can interact with, that you can provision uh, resources through. Historically, in public clouds, those control planes could only provision resources inside of that cloud, like inside the regions of that cloud. And so you would get kind of the view that you just described, which is like, all right, I can influence how you do that in IBM cloud, but you would do it differently in Amazon or in your private data center. What's happened in the last couple of years is we've started to see distributed cloud models evolve, which use the public cloud as the central control plane to manage things as a service on-prem or at the edge or across competing cloud vendors, right? So you can have a single API, a single kind of consistent as a service model that can then choose to run on any infrastructure you want. And so the role I'm playing in IBM Cloud right now is both building out the PaaS layer and extending that PaaS layer to run in any physical location or across any cloud while maintaining the kind of as a service behavior and consumption model that you expect. And that can really only work though if we do indeed have this common API layer that plugs into everything, right? Can you, do you have examples of what those might 
might be. I mean, to me, like something like Kubernetes comes to mind, right? That gets supported across all the major cloud providers, um, including IBM, of course, right? So that could be an example of an API that takes me away from being locked into proprietary models for, for each provider. Yeah, you, you definitely, it's an interesting challenge, to be honest. So there's elements of it that I think we can make, quote unquote, the same. So, you know, Kubernetes is the best example of that across the industry today, where you can have a common way to package up application code, to deploy that application code, um, to specify its requirements around storage and network, to solve common things like scaling and, and uh, failure recovery. Um, and you see kind of everyone in the industry rallying around that as a common application platform. That thing has touch points into other subsystems, you know, like how do you expose storage or how do you expose load balancers or how do you plug into identity and access management? And so that common platform can provide ways to have a simplified integration into the environment around it. Where things like Kubernetes haven't helped as much is the kind of uh, service experience around those resources. So like in Kubernetes, the concept you interact with traditionally is a Kubernetes cluster. Well, how do you create that cluster? How do you delete it? How do you expand it and contract it? When you want to run a database, like Kubernetes directly doesn't necessarily help with the database. You might want an as a service database capability. Uh, and so what you find is there's higher level APIs, which are kind of the control plane or management APIs of cloud that you want to be able to extend into these environments. So I can say something like create me a Postgres database of a certain size and that Postgres database can live in any location and that thing can be backed up and scaled and tuned for me independent of the infrastructure. And I think a lot of that rides on the fact that we have some common infrastructure concepts underneath things like Kubernetes uh, that we can all rely on. Um, but you have both layers. You have a technical platform and then you need like a control plane API. And there's not as much standardization of control plane API, but there is an ability for an, a control plane API to work in lots of places. So is, is that where something like open service broker would play, for example? And do you, do you think that has a future? I don't know that it has a very bright future, to be honest. I think things like open service broker are solve narrow parts of the problem. They like provide some standardized ways to get a catalog of service endpoints to, to do the basic kind of order, you know, provision, bind, unbind, delete operations. But they don't represent the richer APIs of the rest of the lifecycle of a service. Uh, those tend to be kind of out of band APIs. You have things like operators in the Kubernetes world, uh, which I think is a step up from something like service brokers, where you're exposing more of the lifecycle API of a resource like a database into the API of Kubernetes. So you at least have common ways to deal with resources and to provision those resources and modify them. And that's good. That's a good step forward. But that's still what it doesn't capture is kind of like the roles and responsibilities about who manages what for you, right? Like who is responsible for backing up that database or backing up your kube cluster configuration, who's going to restore it when it fails. There's at some point becomes an operations dimension of like who's actually running the lifecycle of that resource. That's where as a service comes in and that's where you wind up with kind of an API in the cloud that's higher than even the Kubernetes API server. Today. Let's move this this whole thing. So we talked a bit about the operational kind of capabilities and, and, and the need for a control plane. How do I now link that into application development? Assuming that I have a platform, right? And be that Kubernetes, 
Kubernetes or be it something else. And now I want to put applications on top of it. I want to develop applications for it. Has that really changed or is that influenced by this notion of hybrid cloud or is that pretty much, you know, dev, DevOps or DevSecOps more recently and, and we're still using the same tools and methodologies there? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think it's, it's a little bit nuanced and layered. So I think there's parts of the problem that are not heavily influenced by the hybrid, you know, the hybrid kind of concept or, or about the desire to run in multiple places. You know, the way you the way you might package up applications, especially if you've gone to like containerized applications as your baseline, which many people have, like how you package up your apps, how you deploy them, how you build a DevOps pipeline, how you use Git and go through kind of CI and, and do publishing. Like a lot of that is kind of the same whether you're going to run in one place or run in a hybrid architecture. Where I think hybrid really starts to influence that is what assumptions do you make around your application? So you have to start to be very intentional about leveraging environment-specific attributes. Like in another public cloud, you have native services that only run in that public cloud. Like should you use them or should you not use them? Like the answer can, you know, there's valid reasons to use them and not use native services, but you have to start to be intentional about whether you use them them because you've made a choice that now binds your application to run in that place and makes it harder to move that application somewhere else if you needed to move it somewhere else. You have things like storage, where if you're non-hybrid running in one place, you can assume like, oh, I'm running on EMC storage. Like I can just optimize for what I have. But if I'm going to run or have the desire to run more flexibly, I need to be able to change those choices and bind in different storage options, similar things on network. So like the edges of your application and how it interacts with the rest of the world, you have to start thinking more more about, I think, as a developer, when you become hybrid and making some intentional choices, uh, and in some cases, restricting yourself to like, hey, if this particular app needs to run at the edge of the network in a diverse set of infrastructure environments, I need to be careful about like what databases I use and like how I consume those databases. And you have two ways to do that. I think you can take over the lifecycle, meaning run everything as software yourself, like package up all your dependencies and run them yourself as software. Or you can choose a consistent kind of as a service platform that can deliver those things for you into any environment you're going to land in, which is kind of the approach that we're taking with things like satellite on IBM cloud, we can deliver the as a service cloud capabilities into a diverse set of locations for you. And since you mentioned storage, that's basically an observation that as we put workloads in Kubernetes, we said there's a layer of, of, of indirection there, right? Where we have a common API that gives us storage and we don't really care how that storage is implemented underneath. And now we find ourselves seeing that not to be true, right? Well, we, we need to be opinionated about storage, we need to look at what it does and what the characteristics are and does it hold up to the SLAs that we're looking for and so forth. And just having an, and that layer of abstraction doesn't necessarily make that requirement go away. Yeah, I think it's actually the weakest place in the abstraction of Kubernetes today is storage. Like compute, I think is pretty good. Network is good enough for most people in that you can stay within the abstractions of Kubernetes and Kubernetes resource types. I mean, there's blurry edges with like ingress properties and what ingress controller implementation you use. But for the most part, I think you can stay within the abstraction with that. I think with storage, it's a it's kind of a mess, honestly. Like there's a standard way to plug in different storage providers, but your workload tends to expect a certain storage class or a certain set of attributes. And, and that's one of the areas where it can be hard um, to um, to plug in. And, and you might wind up bringing in something like a software-defined storage layer, but then you're now running a storage subsystem over the top of whatever actual storage you're using. So I think there's more work to do there, honestly, to make storage more more transparent. I think it's interesting you mentioned networking as probably good enough. Networking in, in my daily work, networking doesn't come up a lot. 
you know, sometimes there's just a discussion about, you know, what's the right load balancing. And especially if we have multiple clusters in different regions and so forth and how to plug it all together. But that's more on the outside of things, right? And sometimes I'm asking myself, is that yet to come? Haven't we just gotten to that point yet right, where everyone's zooming in on networking and how that really works? And we're just busy trying to figure out storage, for example. Yeah, I, I mean, I, my take is like for lots of applications, which are kind of the from net, from the application lens, they kind of run in one place. The Kubernetes networking layer kind of just does its thing good enough that you don't have to think about it a lot. Like you can deploy an application. It can be multi-instance. Kubernetes will load balance traffic. Maybe you need a load balance or you just say, I need a load balance or like it just kind of works. Where I think it stops to just kind of work, there's a ton of interesting growth happening in like edge architecture. So like talking with banks, for example, about their retail branch network and how we would move functionality into, let's say, into metro areas. So like in, you're actually going to move applications into major cities and have the local branches talk to those metro locations. Like as we get, you know, we're doing the same thing with factories and hospitals and manufacturing scenarios, uh, telcos with cell towers. So you wind up with this much more distributed architecture where you have like different tiers of the application. And in that world, like networking starts to matter a lot more. You're trying to think about like how do things talk to each other and how do you load balance across them and how do you fail over between regions or cities? So I think as those distributed architectures become more common, we'll start to talk about networking a lot more. But for the average application, it's probably good enough for most people. I also feel like the, the true potential of hybrid is not just to be able to say, I can pick and choose where I run things. I, I run it in the best place possible, but then also to tie it all together and to connect it all together. And this is coming back to the earlier example of Kubernetes, right? It's it, like you said, the scope, the administrative and operational scope of, of resources in Kubernetes is this notion of a cluster. And one of the things we typically say is don't run a cluster across data centers or don't run a cluster across your cloud public cloud provider and your own private data center for example which i guess you could challenge that right you could say why not you know but at least where we stand right now we're typically saying no let's let's keep this in one place right so to speak and then immediately the question then becomes well okay how now if i have solutions that span multiples of these places which then span multiple clusters and how do i connect it all together and and, and do so in a secure way right and do it in a performing way and that's when i think networking again becomes an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's real technical reasons why spanning environments is for a single cluster or something is a bad idea from availability and um, blast radius perspective. But the reality is if you kind of zoom out enough and look at people's IT architectures, they have really diverse architectures and they're getting more complex, frankly, with more places and more instances of things. And so there is a challenge of how do you manage across that? How do you even know like what's running everywhere and is it configured right? And when it was last updated, those are all real challenges. I mean, they're, they're frankly not new challenges. Like we've, we always have those challenges, but they kind of manifest themselves in new ways as as the underlying architectures get more complex. I, I see that a lot, especially with the existing applications, right? And I remember we had a conversation with an IT person from a large bank, right? Global bank basically said, we looked at our existing applications and we found that everything depends on everything. We don't even know where to start. It's like a, a ball of spaghetti that all sticks together, right? And so we want to bring stuff to the cloud, but we, we don't know how to do this without bringing everything to the cloud at once. And, and that, that's just not reasonable. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting. That's one of the, actually one of the scenarios that's motivating things like distributed cloud. Like in some cases, maybe the right way to start that journey is to bring the cloud to where all the applications are and allow you to kind of run in place. And it's interesting how over time location has like, I think in the beginning of cloud, like the location kind of didn't matter. Like you didn't even want to think about it. Like you just put your application in the cloud somewhere and it just ran. And then it was like, well, I need multiple regions and then I need zones. And now I need like, what country is it in? And what jurisdiction is it in? And location is becoming more and more important over time as we, I think as we have a broader set of applications that are adopting cloud, like then these things start to matter. And so you wind up pulling back to wanting some understanding of where your workloads reside and where your data resides. And we get to the model you started with in our talk, which is like cloud becomes an operating model, like an approach to consuming ideas and less about a particular place that you're going to go run something. We talked a lot about Kubernetes clusters as an example, right? That that obviously implies that I'm still going to put my own application on top of that, which now I'm responsible for managing the lifecycle for. There's obviously, I can take it a step further and say everything as a service, you know, I can take, say, a Salesforce, right? Where I'm strictly a consumer, I get an exposed API how that's then implemented is not really my problem anymore, right? And obviously in IBM, we have a lot of those managed services as well, where you can get a gate database and we're hiding from you as a consumer, how we run that in an efficient way and in a multi-tenant kind of way and give you all the, the SLAs and characteristics that you're looking for. But there's obviously still technologies under the covers behind the curtain, if you will, that we apply right across the board to make this happen. Is there a, a couple of, of technologies where you say like, this is something something we use for all of our managed services and it serves us really well and here's kind of how we run these things are there are examples of that is it is it all containerized is it all not containerized or or how does that work first i think your point's like super important which is that as you consume things especially as a service and therefore the customer is not responsible for running the whole stack themselves they really start to care not at all about like whatever is underneath that stack like that becomes the problem of the service provider not the problem of the client in the past with traditional software based model like you had to know about all the layers because you had to install and manage and patch them all and in in saas you don't and and so it's been interesting like you look at something like kubernetes in the ibm case we use kubernetes as our platform for our own stuff and so in a database example that database is probably running on a kubernetes environment and by running on a kubernetes environment we get hybrid flexibility to run it on lots of infrastructure choices but when you deliver that as a service that's still an internal detail it's like the database team happens to have a kubernetes cluster that supports operating that database the end customer doesn't see that it's not their responsibility and so we're able to leverage the same technologies that you would use at the application space for the higher level services that you consume. Um, and so I think there's an interesting kind of recursion there. There are definitely other tools, though, like configuration management is a good example. Like, you know, if I look at our cloud Kubernetes fleet, where we run tens of thousands of Kubernetes clusters, for all of those clusters, we have software running in those clusters that we have to patch and maintain. So like having tools that allow you to get live inventory of what's running everywhere, and then allow you to incrementally make changes to those environments at scale winds up being an important set of tools that we've then started to see be used in lots of other places like other higher level services use those same capabilities to keep track of what databases are running and you know for how many customers and maybe you have now thousands of databases you're running as a service i think when you think about edge computing even for clients you're going to quickly run into situations where they don't have an app in two regions they have an app in 50 cities or in 650 factories 
And so that kind of multiplier of instances starts to become a real challenge that you need config management tools as another example of kind of common underpinnings um, that you have to leverage. And let's not forget, you need to tie it all into some kind of licensing and billing model. And that has changed. I mean, in the example of IBM anyway, that has changed tremendously from being strictly as in you buy licenses and then you can deploy up to a certain capacity or whatever the metrics are to now going to a strictly a pay as you go. You're only going to pay for what you actually consume. That has a lot of technical implications as well in terms of how you measure this and how you collect the right data to be able to produce a bill at the end of the month, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting how all of these kind of different concepts are building on each other, you know, so you just touched on consumption and pay-as-you-go consumption-based billing is an enabler for some of these technology models to be relevant because doing as a service anywhere doesn't work so well if you have to tell me in advance exactly how much you want and I have like an annual static licensing model. The other technology that I see embedded in these concepts is DevOps, mature DevOps and the ability to do continuous integration and delivery. And a lot of organizations are maybe not as good at that as they think they are. But like you look at things like containers and Kubernetes, and it kind of assumed that you were good at CICD because the whole operational model of the environment was built on the notion of immutable containers and rapidly deploying new changes. And so you have to be good at that in order to reap the benefits of some of the other concepts. Talking about DevOps, I mean, what I've recently started doing is think of it basically as a mechanism to automate not just the application lifecycle, but also the, the lifecycle of everything that lies underneath, so to speak, all the layers. And that then that's something, and then we tie that to Git and then we call it GitOps, right? To basically say, we see GitOps as kind of the emerging dominant way of deploying and managing environments, including applications. What I see though in the real world is when I talk to customers is that there's a lot of interest and there's bits and pieces, there are islands of this that are out there, but we, we it's not really a major wave quite yet. Is that is that something you're seeing as well? I think it's a fair comment. And I think it, it's maybe one of the challenges we have as people who spend our days kind of uh, being technology providers and building platforms is that it's hard to see sometimes how far ahead you are of your clients and where they are in their adoption journey. And I do think there's a trend towards GitOps, towards pushing as much of the operation operational lifecycle into the tool chain that leads into production. You're, you touched a little bit on kind of infrastructure automation and kind of the things underneath your app, but you also have like security and compliance and vulnerability scanning and deployment gates and a lot of compliance things that you could also push into that pipeline. But for that to be real, you also like that, that pipeline has to be robust. Like it has to be able to make updates. It has to be able to deal with a lot of variation in where you deploy. It has to be able to quickly be able to patch something in an incident. And so it takes a lot of investment and maturity to get to the point where those models are really working and operational. And I think a lot of our clients are still trying to figure it out. And they have the added negative of like having a bunch of legacy applications that they have to keep running. Like it's not a greenfield that they're building something new. I think, you know, what, what I find interesting is this whole thought of one, automating the whole kind of deployment and being able to patch it and update it and maintain it. But where it becomes really interesting, and that's where things like operators play start playing a role, is to keep an eye on the target environment and then being able to react to things that happen in that target environment, right? So that it's not a one-way kind of street that I don't view GitOps or DevOps as a one-way thing, but as a continuous loop. And I think that feedback loop is where it gets really difficult and interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally with you. And, and it's also,
also where like when something bad happens is where that breaks down quickly. It's like when something bad happens, do you have an ability to get things back to a good state without breaking the system apart, just hacking into the system, manually making changes and breaking that feedback loop? So keeping the system whole the whole time is hard, right? It's, it's hard at scale, at least. Yeah, so we're we're not going to see completely self-healing systems anytime soon, and and I think all the the operational people in the SREs don't need to worry about their job security for the foreseeable future anyway. Yeah, it's probably one of those things that just progressively gets better over time, but like you know, you're never sure you've reached the end goal. Right. All right, we're almost out of time here. I don't want to um, let you go without asking a bit about maybe give us a glimpse into the the future or the cool stuff that you're working on right now, and I always frame it as you know what makes you want to get up in the morning and and you can't wait to get to work you know what's what's examples for the kinds of things that that you're working on yeah there's probably two areas that i i find kind of most intriguing at the moment one is this distributed cloud thing we've been talking about a little bit with satellite like how it's starting to grow into the edge like i think all of these scenarios where we're doing geographically dispersed branch retail we're doing like factories we're starting to look at things like disconnected like how would you do as a service cloud in a remote location that has a poor network connection is only periodically connected. Combining that kind of pushing things out geographically to the edge with centrally managed from cloud, I think it's super interesting. There's so many kind of really cool examples brewing there um, that I'm excited to kind of see how we can push the envelope there and, and really take the cloud operating model into new places where it hasn't been. That's one layer. And then the flip side is like, of course, I spent a lot of time thinking about apps. And so the things we're doing higher up the stack to help application developers consume the cloud platform in a dynamic way. So like the work we're doing in projects like Code Engine around serverless computing and batch processing and parallel computation with projects like Ray, like they're all examples of like how we start to go higher up the stack into the application architecture itself and make it easy for those applications to be hybrid and to consume the full capacity of cloud in a really transparent way. So there's like two interesting trends happening in my world. It's cloud pushing out everywhere and then abstraction raising into the application space in a deeper way than it has so far. All right. Very cool. So I guess we'll leave it at that. That just uh, leaves me with thanking you for coming. This was super interesting. Yeah. Thanks, Andre. It was fun. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you all for listening and see you all soon.